This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. I'm John Purcell, with you until 10 o'clock, at which stage Edward Hayden will bring you his usual cornucopia of delights. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours, a perfectly judged blend of music, chat and crack to kick off your morning on Casey Lore. And the good news to you Saturday listeners is you can also tune in to John Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday as well as Saturday. This week on The Bottom Line, as the first stage of the country's phased re-emergence from the lockdown begins and some non-essential businesses prepare to slowly return next week, we'll be talking about the return to work protocols with Mark Cullen, Assistant Chief Executive of the Health and Safety Authority. Fran McFadden of Gas Networks Ireland will be joining us to talk about supporting frontline workers and the supply suspension scheme. The motor industry saw an almost complete wipeout of car sales in April, but next Monday we'll see the first steps in the process of reopening. We'll be talking about that very important sector of the economy to Ollie Brannock of Bolands in Carlow. Ashling Ward of Carlow Kilkenny Skillnets will be telling us about how training plays an important part in dealing with the COVID pandemic and a woman with perhaps one of the biggest jobs in the financial sector in this area will be telling us about a big change for her and her organisation that's happening shortly so stay tuned to find out more about that but first there was some good news yesterday for SMEs with the announcement of another new grant scheme for them with me to talk about this and about other big stories that were big in business over the last week is Donald O'Donovan business editor of the Irish Independent good morning Donald tell us about this latest uh, grant unveiled for SMEs uh, yeah, silver lining I suppose rather than good news John for business but but certainly a positive um, yeah Yesterday, the, 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 the business minister, Heather Humphreys, announced a new scheme. So SMEs, small and uh, the, the vast bulk of com- companies, obviously, in the country are small and medium-sized uh, enterprises. So in this case, this applies for companies that would have a turnover of less than 5 million euros a year and fewer than, than 50 staff. So the, the vast bulk of, 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 of small businesses will be covered by this. They're going to be entitled to between uh, 2,000 euros and 10,000 euros in a grant. It's a one-off grant, but it's a grant, so uh, not a loan, no repayment, no interest or anything like that, which I think is, is something the business I've been looking for. It'll be calculated based on the business's own rates last year, so the 2019 commercial rates. Okay, um, so it's around the whole rates area, which which have always been a bugbear for business, but particularly over the last couple of months when many of them haven't been operating. Yeah, no, they haven't been paying their rates in most cases over the last couple of months, uh, and and what this effectively does is give them back last year's. I think uh, is the best way to think of it. Yeah, and a um, plethora yeah. of stuff announced over the last uh, couple of weeks. Hard, in, in fact, for businesses to keep pace at times. Yes, uh, although I, I guess a lot of businesses aren't operating in, in in the normal way they would operate. They're not doing their day to day business, so it's all really important for them if you're a business owner to keep on top of this kind of stuff. This scheme, for instance, the the applications open next next Friday, so you'd want to get in quickly. It's a €250 million Euro scheme overall. I think demand is likely to be very high. The, the numbers aren't huge per business. I mean, for a small business, for the smallest kind of business, you're only talking about €2,000, but it's 2000 to €10,000 that you'll have essentially to reopen with. So whether that means restocking, uh, maybe paying kind of your first week or two of, of staff 
Mm. Uh, in a lot of cases, there's a lot. There's going to be a big requirement for for safety equipment in in shops, safety equipment in workshops, kind of spacing in offices. The upfront ca- capital cost of that. This will. It, it just means that you know businesses can, as they reopen, um, which obviously is going to be a staggered process. They they can have a little bit of cash in 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 on on the, sitting on their balance because in a lot of cases cash has just been run right down while those businesses have been shut. The real danger point for 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 small businesses when they reopen, when they have uh, to have ca- capital available to restock, to to get back up and running, to pay those those first couple of weeks. Uh, of staff before you know before they get they really have cash flow coming back in. There's a real danger point for businesses there that they will go to the wall in that period. So this this is a good scheme for them. Um, I would say it, it it's a relatively limited scheme, though. So I mean, I, I think business owners are are going to want to have their applications in in good time for this. Yeah, and the complexity of reopening is really coming into focus now. Uh, the saying that it's easy to close down but harder to open up is really going to be uh, tested over the next couple of weeks. Hard and expensive, I would say, you know, um, particularly in this situation where, you know, you, you can't just reopen the way that... You, it, it isn't a question of having, you know, t- turn the key on, on you know, March 10th or whatever and then kind of uh, turn it back the other way sometime in, in May or June or July. Your business won't be the same. Mm. Um, it'll, be, it'll be much more limited. It'll be harder to run. It'll be more expensive to run. So, yeah, really... Really difficult time coming up, I think, for for businesses. In in a way, yeah, reopening is going to be much more complicated than shutting down. Yeah. Now that's assistant assistance to business from national governments. The the European Union has a huge role in stimulating the the Europe wide economy, and the ECB plans for big big moves there. But the Germans are putting a bit of a, a spanner in the works there, and a lot of people don't understand. It's quite a complex legal issue. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a story the last couple of weeks. So, so la- at the very, very beginning of last week, the German Constitutional Court in Germany has a mind-bogglingly complicated uh, uh, constitution, partly as a result of, of kind of the way that Germany was pieced back together in the 1940s, the late 1940s, obviously, after the war. That's a very complicated um, uh, constitution with kind of overlapping powers and overlapping responsibilities. But that They have a constitutional court, what they call a constitutional court in Karlsruhe, a uh, German city, which just considers issues of constitutional importance. So, very much like our Supreme Court, but but without the kind of the Supreme Court appeals kind of element to it. Anyway, they decided last week on Monday that uh, the European Central Bank, the, the massive kind of stimulus package we've had from them for the last couple of years, not so much COVID-19, but really dating back to 2015 and, and, and Mario Draghi's kind of whatever it takes type of era, where the European Central Bank has been, as we know, buying huge amounts of bonds on the bond market in order to, to just keep the euro, the euro area economy just propped up. Um, that's very unpopular in Germany, where they see that as really damaging savings, as 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 controversial. Um, so a, lo- a big group of German citizens have, ta- have taken legal actions against this in various guises, and they've been grouped together uh, for, for case management. They've ended up at the German Constitutional Court and at the different times the European Court of Justice in um, in, in Luxembourg to the, the European courts. The German court came out on Monday last week and said that the bond buying had to be justified. So they've demanded really that the German government and the German uh, central bank justify this or else they're going to say Germany won't be allowed to participate in the European central bank's activities. That would be 
incredibly dangerous to the European Union and to the to the Eurozone in particular because the German Central Bank is the biggest part of the European Central Bank. Yeah. Um, so we need to watch that one. We need to watch that one because the, the, the ECB stuff, I think, is probably resolvable. What, what's messier there is that the German court shouldn't be trying to overrule the European Union court. The, 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 the kind of the, the scenario there is fairly clear. The, the, European, uh, the, the, the European Court of Justice, the ECJ, has jurisdiction over European institutions. The German judges are now saying, well, not really, or maybe not all the time. Yeah. And that could get very, very, very messy if other countries start to try and follow suit. Now, this time last year, Brexit was the only show in town, really. It's kind of a bit of a, a sideshow the last while. But the lead story in Irish independent business today is Brexit talks lurch as UK, UK keeps no deal exit on the table. And during the week, Kerr Starmer coming out and saying from the Labour Party point of view, well, we don't mind. Go ahead, Boris. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of brinkmanship now. So the, the, the ghost of Brexit past is really, is really resurrecting this week. There talks, high-level talks between the European Union negotiators and the, and the UK negotiators have been going on this week in Brussels. They ended up yesterday fairly kind of acrimoniously. Everyone seems to have been quite ratty coming out of those talks. Um, they got nowhere. The UK is very much driving the, 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 the idea that, okay, if these talks fail... And what these talks aim to do is to put in place a permanent um, relationship, trading relationship between the UK and the European Union from the end of this year. Um, and what the, the, the UK negotiator is saying is if that can't be done on what they regard as reasonable terms, then they'll be happy enough to have no relationship in place. That's real brinkmanship that gets us back to the kind of the worst talk of, of a no-deal Brexit that we had maybe in, in October, September last year, which, which got patched back together again. In mm. this case, that would be even worse in that, you know, we'd be talking about coming out, really, of this terrible period for the economy that we're in and lurching straight into a new crisis around Brexit for, for, for Irish business. There's a lot of kind of, 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 of shouting and roaring going on here. These talks don't have to conclude this week. Um, ideally, you'd like to see good progress by June because uh, this is a deal that needs to be done this year. If it's not done by October, certainly, then we would be into kind of in, into crisis mode, and that's when I think you'd start to see the currency markets to really get get, get to start to trade off on this, and maybe sterling start to weaken very strongly. Um, the problem is to get something done in October. In reality, that means getting it done before the summer holidays, and that means you'd, you'd want to see the shape of it in June, which is now next month. Um, I think there'll be a lot of roaring and shouting. There'll be a lot of people throwing their toys out the pram on this one until it gets to a point where you start to see the shape of a deal. It's definitely worth watching. It's definitely acrimonious and ratty. I wouldn't say that it's at the point of crisis yet, but it'll get there in October if something doesn't happen. Yeah, not far to go at all. Uh, thanks very much, Donald. Pleasure talking to you, as always. We look forward to hopefully having you on in a couple of weeks talking about the successful conclusion of of that law case in uh, Karlsruhe and also... Brexit tied up in a lovely deal but until then uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed and uh, we'll keep covering it Donald uh, thank you very much uh, that, Thanks, was, that was that uh, was Donald O'Donovan who's business editor uh, at the Irish Independent now during the week I was delighted uh, to be involved in chairing uh, um, an online 
webinar, I suppose it was, on training uh, for Carlow Chamber of Commerce and a, a range of people were involved in that, all very busy providing uh, training for businesses as they adapt to the COVID-19 reality. One of those was Ashling Ward, who's Network uh, Manager for Carlow Kilkenny Skillnet. And uh, we asked her to give us an update on what's going on uh, with Carlow Kilkenny Skillnet. And here she is. Morning, John. Thanks for having us on this morning to talk about Carlow Kilkenny Skillnet. Carlow Kilkenny Skillnet work under the umbrella organisation Skillnet Ireland and we have been operational in the Carlow and Kilkenny area for the last 20 years looking after our companies in the region. We organise and we run courses and programmes for all the business owners and managers and their staff across various different sectors from hospitality, engineering, manufacturing, retail, professional services such as accountants and solicitors and at all times we're looking at how we can help them upskill both the owners and their staff and make sure that the courses are relevant to the business needs. So since March we've had to adapt very very quickly to our offerings um, and provide virtual classrooms, digital workshops and webinars for our members and we've been very pleased with the uptake um, from the business community in terms of them supporting everything that we've been offering. The first couple of programmes focused on managing teams remotely, communicating with staff and customers and suppliers, ICT skills um, and computer training. That was where we found the greatest needs when we started firstly. We've now moved on um, and the focus is on getting people back to work. So programmes that we have on offer at the moment are COVID health and safety compliance officer training, hygiene related training and checklists for companies and businesses, employment law specialists working with us to help um, in that area and programs as well in the area of digital marketing. So they're just a few of the programs that are on offer. The best place to find out about these programs, we have a twice weekly newsletter that outlines everything that we're running. And if you wish to subscribe to that, you can do so via our website, carlocalkennyskillnet.ie. We also have a Facebook page and all of the details of our upcoming programs are there. Many of them we are running for free and uh, we would very much welcome anyone in the business community who needs help and support to contact me, Ashling Ward, the network manager of the Carlo Kilkenny Skillnet. And my email is info at carlocalkennyskillnet.ie. Thanks, John. Thank you very much uh, there to Ashling Ward, who's the network manager, as you heard, of Carlo Kilkenny Skillnet. And do check out all the multitude of uh, skills uh, or trainings that are available from that and many other organisations well worth doing. It's just uh, almost 21 minutes past nine. We're going to take a break and then we're going to be talking about the return to work protocols with with Mark Cullen, who's Assistant Chief Executive Officer of the Health and Safety Authority. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. KCLR. KCLR. Proud to be local. Proud to be local indeed. John Purcell with you on The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. It's just... Uh, 
22 minutes past nine o'clock. We're here until uh, 10. As we were talking about earlier, slowly businesses, non-essential businesses are beginning uh, to get going again as of next Monday. And caution is the byword. But they are returning to a completely uh, different environment. Huge, uh, huge changes required to keep the virus at bay. And the government published a return to work uh, protocol, a a return to work safely protocol, which is the result of uh, collaborative work between the Health and Safety Authority, the HSE and the Department of Health. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Mark Cullen, who's the Assistant Chief Executive Officer of the Health and Safety Authority. Mark, huge changes in store for business and important uh, that they take the safety uh, requirements very seriously. Yes, John. Good morning, John, and good morning to all your listeners. Yes, it's very important that, uh, I suppose, all the good work in relation to the uh, control measures that have been put in place and that society has taken on board with the lockdown to prevent the the, the spread of COVID-19, that that continues now as the work, uh, as the economy slowly starts to to reopen. And as you said, that the the Return to Work Safety Protocol is a high-level document that sets out uh, a set of measures that employers and employees can engage with to ensure that they put in place appropriate measures to continue to uh, the prevent of spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. Uh, important to stress, uh, I think you're keen to get it across because it's highlighted in the material I've got that, that you're stressing collaboration in the implementation of all of these measures. Absolutely, John. This is not going to be done by one person or one organisation or agency. Collaboration is very, very important. And I say that also, that information, communication and collaboration is very important. And the document has got a strong emphasis on employers and employees working together to implement the appropriate measures and to build confidence in the workplace that all has been done to manage uh, uh, to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. So it's very important that employers engage with employees and the protocol calls for a worker rep be uh, selected and to work with management and, and uh, put in place the appropriate control measures and put in place a plan that will address the uh, the measures that are required to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. Yeah, now, um, it's quite an extensive document, the Return to Work Protocol. There's a number of different areas in it and we try and go through them step by step. You mentioned about the uh, worker representative, but before people go back, it's important that they get their heads around a response plan, what what have a plan in case of a suspected case, policy changes and so on. Can you just give us a, a bit of an overview of that, uh, the, all yeah. that kind of pre-work? Well, informa- information is key and, and, and in many workplaces, and I, I should acknowledge at this point that there's a, a lot of essential workplaces that have been going throughout this lockdown and they have implemented control measures and that should be recognised. And we'd ask that those essential workplaces would look at the protocol and make sure that they're in an adherence with the, with the control measures that they have in place. But for those that are actually reopening, say, from uh, on Monday coming, it's important that to get the information that is required from their employees in, that is going to be returning in respect of what are what what uh, uh, symptoms they have, maybe get as much information about what their their staff is, so they can build that in to their their work plan. And then once it comes to the actual work plan itself, to look at what control measures, look at the work activities that are that is occurring in the place of work, look at the measures that is needed to be put in place in in line with the protocol, and then communicate that to the employees. But in terms of putting in the physical measures, that's one aspect, but information, getting as much information and induction training over to the employees and get as much information through that system to make sure that they're familiar of 
all the aspects of COVID-19, even though it has been on the news and in our lives daily, but it's very important that everybody understands that and then start to look at the control measures and tell them how control measures are going to be put in place to protect them uh, from the spread of COVID-19 and engage them in that process. Uh, the policy kind of points towards planning for worst case scenario that someone actually appears in your workplace with suspected uh, symptoms or displaying symptoms of COVID-19. Can you give us a kind of a quick overview of what people are meant to do in such cases? Well, in, where, where, where an employee um, might uh, present with some symptoms during the day in relation to COVID-19, that uh, the employers have in place a plan to address that and the manager appointed to address that and support that member staff or that employee and that would involve uh, making sure that they're aware of what the symptoms are and have that uh, have that uh, I suppose open dialogue that that employee can approach the manager and say I'm de- I, I, I've got some signs and symptoms and then uh, an action to follow up after that and that would be to support that employee and take them to uh, a place that uh, has like an isolation room or somewhere away from the workplace so that they, they, they can be in isolation and then support them in terms of making contact with their doctor or if they need to uh, return home. So to give them support there. But it's important that, employee, that employees and uh, uh, employers know the signs and symptoms and that there's a, a measure in place then to take action if they present in the workplace and isolation and support for that person going back to their home or to a GP would be advisable. Yeah, we all know now that contact tracing is very important in relation to the whole uh, containment of of the virus. Uh, and so the, the protocol accounts for that. So quite extensive requirements on people to kind of sign in, sign out. I, for example, sign in when I come into KCLR before I start this um program I, I go through a checklist and so on uh, yep. people are required to do that everywhere yes everywhere uh, signing in signing in is very important and one of the important aspects of, of managing COVID-19 once it does present if, if someone does present with the symptoms is obviously the contact the contact that they've had in the workplace or elsewhere so it's very important to try and keep a contact log so if someone does develop the signs and symptoms that uh, the appropriate measures can and follow-up measures can be taken so that's very important yeah, and, and also pre-return to work forms. Uh, I believe that's necessary as well. It's not just a case of blowing a whistle and everybody piles in. There's a process to be gone through with staff as well. Yeah. Yes, John, pre-returned pre, uh, work forms, and that has to get information in relation to the employees that are going to be returning to work, because you don't know, uh, the employer will not know the circumstances. They could have been in self-isolation, they could be uh, awaiting uh, a COVID-19 test, or they could have been in contact with someone that had uh, COVID symptoms. So all that information is very important for the employer to build into their, to build into their uh, management plan once employees come back to work. And of course... The, the, the information and advice is that if employee does have the signs and symptoms uh, with, of COVID-19, that they don't come into the workplace. But that pre-return to work is to get as much information as possible so that the employer can plan and advise the employee as, as, as required. Yeah, now uh, hygiene measures, uh, when when all this started, there was a big scramble for sanitizers and people were buying little bottles of sanitizers for 15 euro and all this kind of stuff. We're in for the long haul. This is here for the foreseeable. So people need to be kind of specking up and, and there's requirements for people to, you know, like wipes, sanitizing stations and so on. Can you give us an overview of, of what's just required there? Yeah, in, in line with the public health recommendations, obviously there, there, there's a suite of recommendations there. Respiratory etiquette and hand hygiene is very important. 
And in terms of hand hygiene in the workplace, employees need to have access to what we call welfare facilities where they can actually wash their hands in warm uh, uh, soap and water. Um, and in the event of that that access is not freely available throughout the day, obviously it can be supplemented with having hand sanitizers and hand sanitizer stations available throughout the, the, the workplace, depending on the, the dimension, size, of the workplace, it may be necessary to have a few of those. And as you mentioned, as you come into the workplace, maybe to have a hand to have a hand hand sanitizer station there. And then in terms of just having available other supports that that, that can can lead to keeping uh, surfaces clean, such as uh, uh, antibacterial wipes, uh, having tissues, bins for put disposing of this disposing of that waste uh, safely. So it's a combination of everything. But the key to uh, I suppose the public health recommendations is the hand good hand hygiene and it's important that employers make sure that employees know what is good hand hygiene well we might all accept that yeah it's washing the hands but there is a system for washing your hands to make sure that uh, your, your hand uh, your hand hygiene is up to the, the required standard for getting rid of COVID-19 if you have came into contact with finally um uh, physical distancing mark like if you're out for a walk in the park uh, it's easy to sort of step into the <laughs> keep your six feet away for your two meters distance it's, it's relatively straightforward a lot more complicated in work and pe- but people need to plan for that screens reducing seating in offices all that kind of stuff yes physical distance is one of the recommendations and everybody uh, everybody knows the two metre rule now at this stage so yes employers will have to look and, and, and stay in consultation with their worker representative to look at their systems and try and maintain the physical distance wherever possible and that can be done through a couple of I, I suppose practical measures in terms of organising the, the way the work patterns having different shifts uh, making sure that the office space that is occupied, that there is physical distance up to two metres between, staggering canteen breaks. So, so there's, a, there's, there's a suite of measures that can be put in place there in terms of the physical distance. However, if two metres and physical distance in, in terms of keeping people apart of two metres is not available, there are other measures that can be done by putting in uh, a physical guards, sneeze guards. So there's a, there's a combination and there's a hierarchy of controls that can be put in place right down to physical guards to keep people uh, separate or sneeze guards. But we'd, we'd, look, to, we'd look for employers to do the, the, the what we would say the easy ones first. Of course, John, we'd recognise that this is not going to be easy and there is going to be some impact on cer- certain work activities in terms of the, the numbers of people that can occupy a given space. But it is all outlined there in the protocol and there's a suite of measures that the, the employers can follow. Okay, Mark, thank you very much. That's Mark Cullen, who's the Assistant Chief Executive of the Health and Safety Authority, getting very granular and giving lots of practical advice in relation to the return to work uh, safety protocols. And do stay safe and do follow uh, the protocols if you are returning to work or if your business is planning on reopening. We're talking about hand sanitizers and we're talking about pivoting businesses, of course, over the last number of weeks on the programme. So just thought I'd give a shout out to some local companies who are developing uh, sanitising products for use in uh, businesses and so on. CF Pharma, which of course won the overall Business of the Year Award at the Kilkenny Business Awards, uh, are launching an Germ first aid product range um, and it can be sprayed on door handles, switches, laptops, phones, cloths, clothes, face and handles and is 100% safe. Also foreign healthcare who are part of Connolly's Red Mills of Goresbridge 
and Kilkenny uh, are providing a range of hand sanitising products, dispensers, wall-mounted freestanding and mobile units and all sorts uh, ranging from a 100 milliliter tube up to a 20 litre drum of sanitizer and you can contact Richard at Connolly's Red Mills and High Bank Orchards known uh, for their gins and so on are also uh, producing hand sanitizer ranging from uh, up to 500 mils and it can be ordered via phone or email and indeed we've availed of some of that ourselves and a friend of the program Joe Brown of joebrown.com normally for cosmetics and fragrances etc is doing a fresh hands hand sanitizer and also in Tullo Tellab are doing hand sanitizer and they've got an online shop that's tellab.ie just a quick mention of an issue and a very relevant issue that was raised during the week by Deputy Jennifer Murnan O'Connor who has written to Revenue she says asking them to examine ways of putting in place a functioning phone line in the immediate future for people to be able to actually talk to someone in Revenue about uh, problems or issues they may have with various payments and claims and so on and she's saying that many people particularly those who are older didn't have access through the online Revenue portal Uh, that I'm sure will be an issue that may come up again. We're going to take a break and then we'll be talking next to Fran McFadden, who's National Customer Acquisition Manager with Gas Networks Ireland. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR, proud to be local. Proud to be local indeed, and it's just coming up to 23 minutes away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line, the programme for and about business. Joining me on the line is a man called Fran McFadden, who's the National Customer Acquisition Manager with Gas Networks Ireland. Good morning, Fran. Good morning, John. How are you? Invitation onto the show. Very good, thank you. Good. good. Listen, there's a plethora of companies dealing in gas, but Gas Networks Ireland, I know, has a very central role in keeping the whole show on the road. Just give us, before we get into talking about uh, the work you've been doing during COVID, just tell us a bit about uh, the work in general that Gas Networks Ireland does. Yeah, so Gas Networks Ireland, uh, people might be familiar with us, um, and even if not, there used to be called Borgosh Networks back in the day. So we own, operate and maintain the gas network across the country. So it's a fairly significant infrastructure um, owned by the people of Ireland, around 2.6 billion euro value. Um, We supply around 700,000 customers currently across the country, and that's uh, around 21 counties and you know a lot of population centres, towns, villages and cities across the country would have access to natural gas. Uh, you know there's around 30% of all the energy supplied across the country comes from natural gas so, so it's a fairly significant chunk of the energy usage across the country. Yeah. And some of the stats as well, um, even more exciting stats John, <laughs> we have over 50% of electricity consumed and produced in this country is produced using natural gas. So so really, really important infrastructure. And we manage it, we maintain it, and we, we ensure that it's safe and secure. Um, so, you know, fairly important job that we carry out. And uh, essential to keep the show on the road for people cooking, energise, you know, given their energy uh, during the last two months. You've had a huge team probably to keep on, on the road and it's probably brought its own challenges. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, being being the type of organisation that we are, you know, we have our we have our crisis management procedures. You know, we're obliged to have you know, very very clear rules around any crisis that occurs. So, the minute uh, this this crisis happened, um, we would enter obviously crisis mode and um, to make sure that everything was kept going. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, making sure that the gas flows across the country, making sure the gas comes into the country. Um, and that it, that it all works for individuals, be they household, um, using it for heating hot water, be businesses for any type of operation, even right up as far as the, um, and the you know, power generation stations need to keep going. So, yeah, so we basically got our staff, um, we have frontline workers, obviously, who are really critical to keeping the show on the road, um, made sure that everything was identified as essential works, could still continue. Uh, we have a lot of construction crews um, who were, you know, were allowed to continue based on what we call essential works, that they had to go out, they had to be there, and they had to do the work to keep the show on the road. Yeah, and, um, you know, a real... It was only talking to you before we came on air that I became aware of the absolute breadth of people who, who rely on gas. And some of the areas would be restaurants and so on who've all, you know, had to shutter themselves over the last um, number of months as well. Um, very challenging for a lot of your customers. Very, very challenging. I mean, even even to give you some level of... Um Understanding in terms of numbers, um, so around even Kilkenny and Carlow, there we have we've around eight thousand customers in Kilkenny and around six thousand customers in Carlow. Wow! You know, of of those seven hundred would be businesses, seven hundred in total between the two counties, and the businesses, generally speaking, the hospitality sector, they rely really, really heavily on natural gas. And you can understand that from the restaurants, from the hotels. You know, it's not just heating, but it's the hot water, but it's the cooking particularly, you know. So, so yeah, so we, you know, we totally understand. We've been supporting SME businesses for probably for the last 40 years since we came into, into being, you know. And we understand now absolutely 100% the, the challenges facing um, the SME, the SME sectors. SME to us, we know the SME sector is so important um, to Ireland, Inc., um, also to us in terms of our customer customer base. So, so like we've been was we've been working for the last um, eight weeks, particularly to make sure that uh, if there's anything that we can do, um, just to pay back, you know, to pay back SMEs that that we've um, had as customers for many many years. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm on the show here as well, I guess, just to talk about the uh, the competition that we've had during the week, but also what we've been doing in terms of you know keeping the show on the road for some SME customers. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I mentioned it last uh, Saturday on the programme, but all this week, John Keane, um, the inimitable John Keane, who does our uh, Casey Laura lunch, has been running a competition um, just uh, with Gas Networks Ireland, and he was asking people to um, pay tribute to the frontline heroes. And that was something that you're very keen to be involved with and, and also support in, in providing recognition, support the aforementioned restaurant sector that you were talking about. Yeah, and then this was one of our um, one of our goals, I guess. Um, we've we've done a lot of work in the last couple of years in terms of, I guess, promoting ourselves, promoting the product that we sell, sales and marketing campaigns. This is not one of these. This is our chance, and we we looked at opportunities. I suppose a couple of months ago to see what could we do to to help SMEs. Um, a, bit, a bit of the payback I mentioned already, and the idea that we came up with really was to support. Um, some of these, those SME customers, those restaurants that we already have on gas, um, who are closed, unfortunately, um, hopefully opening sometime soon, um, and also to you know to reward 
frontline workers. We have our own frontline workers, as mentioned, you know, so there's so many out there. And it's not only frontline workers, it's, it's everyday heroes is what we were looking at here as yeah. part of the competition. So nominate people that you think have really made massive, significant um, impact on communities or on people themselves, you know. So it's been a great week so far. I mean, it's really, um, we've got a lot of, lot of interest yeah, and, and it's really quite moving to hear some of the stories. I mean, I was talking to John Keane about it and I was listening to some of them. You know, there was one, uh, or there is one healthcare worker who, because he goes to work every day in the health uh, sector, has to isolate himself from his family. And he's been like that, I think, living in a, in a motorhome or a caravan outside his house, waving at his... Uh, uh, at his family through the window for seven weeks. You know, it's really incredible and good to see these people being recognised and, and it's been great to do it with Gas Networks Ireland, so thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. and also in total, we've actually outside of this competition, you know, we've we've heard a lot of stories because we've, you know, kind of gone out to our customer base, particularly those looking for connections, for example, that we had to stop a lot of connections, um, but anything that we sensed was vulnerable customers or frontline workers. So we've actually talked to a lot of customers or what we call potential customers and leads over the last eight weeks. And, you know, they put forward their story, you know, they have to move in, they have to move out of their own home, they have to move into some other accommodation. People of Ireland have been exceptionally generous as well. Some people we've heard, some landlords have offered free accommodation yeah. in, in some homes or apartments, you know, and that we had to connect and we've done that as well. But that's uh, but there are so many, so many great stories I mean, what they're doing you know absolutely and the, the, from the restaurant's perspective that's the other part of what we're doing is as well naming the restaurants as well and getting you know buying a voucher from them to offer to these absolute heroes um, and that's giving those restaurants a little bit of coverage and that's part of why we were doing this competition running this competition as well Fran, thank you very much. Uh, great to be involved with you on that and uh, good to recognise the frontline heroes and also recognise that they're frontline workers involved in Gas Networks Ireland. That's Fran McFadden Nashner. Nash- John, can I just, uh, maybe one last point there, yeah. uh, uh, 10 seconds maybe. Um, the other big benefit we're bringing to the SMEs community as well is a su- suspension on the supply charges. So uh, gas suppliers supply gas normally to all these SMEs. Um, if they're closed, so if any SME business in Carroll Kilkenny is closed for business due to COVID-19, um, contact our gas supplier because we've now agreed since the start of this month that charges can be suspended for a three-month period. So any business shut their doors. If they're not using gas, they can contact their gas supplier and they can have their charges suspended for a three-month period. That's a fantastic deal. I think everyone should go for it if possible. Okay, um, Fran. They're assessed. That's great. Uh, another piece of good news there from Fran McFadden, who's the National Con- Customer Acquisition Manager with Gas Networks Ireland. Moving on, uh, we're going to talk now about the motor industry, and I'm joined on the line by Ollie Brannock, who's Sales Manager in Boland's Carlock. Good morning, Ollie. How are you, John? Not bad at all. I tell you, I'd say you never expected an April like April 2020 uh, when you were doing your projections for 2020. No, no we, didn't, we, didn't, uh, we didn't budget for this. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, how would a sales manager get on with his chief executive coming in with a budget of over 90% year-on-year uh, decline um, in sales? But you're coming back from it all. Absolutely, yeah. I was actually... Um we, we got word late last night that uh, with government announcements that we're actually we're able to open Monday for sales, service, parts, everything for Monday. So it was great news. We, we thought we were just going to be able to open the workshop. Oh. And actually open, open the whole lot. We, we got word late last night, so it was, it was fantastic news. 
so we can we can try to get back to some normality and uh, we we've been working behind the scenes for the last last couple of weeks putting all the safety measures in place and um, just to get the place ready with social distancing. Excellent, yeah, because it is not really a return to normal as we've known it in the past. It's new normal, and Skoda, which is one of the brands in particular that you do, you, you do uh, Volvo, Mazda, and Peugeot as well, but Skoda have been to the forefront in making preparations and getting preparations for the new reality of physical distancing and sanitising and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Skoda were, were straight in there, um, from the factory starting to produce respirators, to the actual showrooms. So in the showrooms, we'll actually have a, a thermal, thermal imaging camera. Um, so when you enter the showroom, it'll check your temperature. Um, we've sanitary stations inside. We've reduced the number of cars in the showroom just to, just to kind of keep with social distancing. Um, like down to sanitizing the cars. Each car will be sanitized after uh, every customer, before a customer arrives, um, before you collect your new car, even to where the keys are sanitized and put into a Ziploc bag for you. And it's a contactless collection. So. We've, they've, they've really gone all out um, and it, it's great to see how quickly they were able to do that yeah, and adjust. Yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. I was actually amazed to hear that you've you've continued virtually selling cars um, over the last while and you're even accepting, have accepted trade-ins on the basis of exchange of photos and all that. That's really adaptation and having to adapt to change circumstances. Absolutely, yeah, needs must, I suppose. We, we, we adapted quite quickly. We have a virtual showroom on our website uh, www.polandcarlo.com um, where we we had um, you can click it, click in you can view our, our full range of used cars you can select one of those used cars you can contact uh, contact us via WhatsApp email or a phone call um, and we can then send you a personalised video of that car tailored to specifically what that customer wants to see we can even do um, a live test drive um, for that customer um, and, and, and really work things that way it's very different. Um, customers then send us pictures uh, of trading through, again, WhatsApp, email or text. And uh, we'll, we'll value the trading um, that way. And we can even arrange finance remotely then as well. Um, and if, uh, if they have a DocuSign, so it's actually you can sign your, your contracts and everything online. Um, so it's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's adapted very quickly and has, has been working well for us. Okay, Ollie. Well, look, good to talk to you, and best of luck to everybody in uh, Boland's Carlo and in, indeed all motor outlets as you slowly begin uh, to emerge from this unbelievable lockdown over the last number of months. That was Ollie Brannock, who's sales manager in Boland's in Carlo. Um, we're going to move on, and we're going to be talking uh, to Claire Lawton just uh, next. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Yes, you're listening to KCLR. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Don't forget Edward Hayden coming up uh, for you just after the 10 o'clock news. Now, not so long ago, the financial sector was almost entirely dominated by men and thankfully all that has begun to change over the last years and uh, hopefully it will continue to change. St. Canice's Kilkenny Credit Union was among the first to break the mould, appointing Claire Lawton as its chief executive just over 22 years ago. Amazing how time flies. In that time, Claire has been at the helm of the credit union uh, and has worked on the expansion which has been absolutely enormous she joins me somewhat reluctantly i think to share some news claire you are retiring tell us more 
That's right. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, yes, I plan to retire um, at the end of next month um, on my 60th birthday. And yes, I've been here for just over 22 years. And before that, I spent 20 years in AIB. So it's, it's, it's probably time to hang up the boots now. Well, you're full of energy still and, and huge changes have taken place in the credit union. Tell us a bit about it when you, when you joined 22 and a bit years ago. It was a much yeah. smaller organisation. It was a lot smaller at the time. Um, we had, uh, when I started, I think we had about 19 staff and our assets were £40 million at the time. Um, we now have 100 and plus staff and our assets are €450 million. Euro. So we're, we're a very big credit union, the biggest community credit union in the country. And um, we have, um, in the, since, mainly since 2015, we've had um, nine transfers of engagement where other credit unions, I suppose they chose us as their partner to um, continue to give service to their members. So, yeah, it's been, it's been um, I suppose it's been, it's been a huge journey. And it's been a, it's been a very good journey, and um, I have to say I've enjoyed um, I've enjoyed most of it hugely over the past number of years. Yeah, and it's a very unusual uh, business model, really, the credit union, because you've got a, a community organisation and a voluntary organisation at the heart of it. That's fine when you're a certain size, but expanding to over four hundred and fifty million, as you talked about, I'm sure that has challenges. But you've managed to keep community at the heart of it. Absolutely, and I think that is the, the centre of the success of credit unions in general and of St. Kansas. You know, we've never strayed far from our community, and even though we have branches um, extending Carlo, Leash, and etc., we still have um, we still have that community ethos and you know the staff based in those communities are very much part of the communities that they work and live in so yes it's worked really well and i suppose we've adapted over the years and things have changed a lot you know we still have a voluntary board volunteers a voluntary board oversight committee and they work very well with um, with management and staff so we've we've had to adapt over the years and of course regulations changed a lot in the past 20 years uh, like we're now very a very highly regulated organization um, in line with any financial institution but we, we've managed to I suppose, adapt to that and still retain that philosophy and ethos which I hope will, will never leave the credit union yeah and it's a it's a, it's a tough business I'm sure because you've faced over those 22 uh, and a bit years uh, recessions um, you know changes in regulation as you said the COVID uh, situation is a huge challenge as well but um, it seems to be able to adapt the credit union. We were only talking to Roisin last week about Roisin Gilroy, about you've, you've changed, continued to change with the times. We do. And, yeah, I, I suppose, you know, one of the low points of the last 20-something years was the recession of 10 years ago where members were, were struggling. And, um, you know, it, it was in some cases difficult to support people right through it, but we did get through it and our members got through it as well. The current crisis is, I suppose, it's such uncharted territory. But again, you know, we've responded to it. We've staff working, you know, we spread them out over a number of offices. We've encouraged our members to go online um, to open um, current accounts and get debit cards so they don't have to come into the office as much. We have, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but a number of staff over a number of weeks have done a TikTok video just to make people smile and that has been shared on social media and it's just, we're all in it together, we work well together, we've, we have a great team and um, 
know, as I said earlier, the community is at the heart of everything we do. Yeah, I mentioned that the, when I was introducing you about the whole... Um, issue of you being a woman in the role and how that was quite unusual over 20 years ago a lot of positive change has happened what what would you what's your perspective on the whole women in leadership positions issue um, i suppose i i would say that i've probably been quite lucky over the years like back even in the days of the bank i had um i had all these very good mentors people that probably pushed me forward more than i might have pushed myself or probably certainly outside my comfort zone and i think that stood to me I think also with, you know, being a mother of um, four daughters over the years, four adult daughters, um, I had great support at home. Uh, John was always an equal partner in, in bringing up the girls, so that made it a lot easier for me. And also, I think from, I suppose, an attitude and personality point of view, I've always had the ability to kind of keep things in boxes. Um, home life didn't interfere that much with work life and vice versa. I could walk out the door in the morning, know the girls were looked after and concentrate on the job. And the same, um, come home in the evening and concentrate on home. So I, I never found it that terribly... Um, I, I didn't. I never felt I was held back by being female. And, um, you know, I work equally well with uh, men and with women. In fact, up until recently, we had an all-female senior management team in the credit unit, which was unusual enough, but um, no harm to maybe break us up a little bit. Yeah. Um, what, what, uh, you're, you're planning on retiring. Um, what, what are you looking forward to about that? Uh, I look forward to a break, I suppose. I was, I, I've worked for... Um, for 42 years since uh, before my 18th birthday full time and even you know during the years when um, when I was having children it was 12 weeks and 13 weeks maternity leave so I've never had a long break I'm looking forward to spending more time with um, I, I have three grandchildren spread between London Dublin and here in Kilkenny so I'd love to spend more time with them but I, I'll take a little bit of time off and then I'll you know, have a look at the LCV and see what I might do after that. Um, and I look forward to it all. I've enjoyed every stage of my life to this stage. I see no reason why I wouldn't really enjoy the, the next phase. Absolutely. Well, Claire, from everyone in KCLR, uh, best wishes to you for a long and happy retirement. And something tells me that you won't be completely hanging up your, your spreadsheets and your, your, no. your management um, skills that you've uh, developed so much. Claire Lawton, thank you very much. That's thank Claire you. Lawton, uh, who's the Chief Executive of St. Canis's Kilkenny Credit Union, announcing there her retirement from that role after a little over 22 years. Thank you to Claire and indeed to all our guests this morning, to Mark Cullen, to Donald O'Donnell, to Ashling Ward, to Fran McFadden and to Ollie Brannock. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced. Thanks to also Paddy, the King of Feedback. Until next week, uh, I do hope you'll join me, but until then, safe back to work if you're starting to go back to work. But no matter where you are, wash your hands, keep your distance and stay, stay safe. From me, John Purcell, until we speak again, hopefully next Saturday, just after the nine o'clock news. Have yourself a good weekend. Stay safe during the week and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie